Chapter Twenty Three, Part Two of East Lynne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Magdalena Cook. East Lynne by Mrs. Henry Wood. Chapter Twenty Three, Part Two. Captain Thorne in trouble about a bill. Continued. Another thing that may be said to be progressing backward for it was going on fast to bad instead of good, was the jealousy of Lady Isabel. How could it be otherwise, kept up as it was by Barbara's frequent meetings with Mr. Carlyle and by Captain Levison's exaggerated whispers of them? Discontented, ill at ease with herself and with everybody about her, Isabel was living now in a state of excitement, a dangerous resentment against her husband beginning to rise up in her heart. That very day, the one of Captain Levison's visits to Levison Park, in driving through West Lynn in the pony carriage, she had come upon her husband in close converse with Barbara Hare. So absorbed were they that they never saw her, though her carriage passed close to the pavement where they stood. On the morning following this, as the Hare family were seated at breakfast, the postman was observed coming toward the house. Barbara sprang from her seat to the open window, and the man advanced to her. "'Only one, miss. It is for yourself.' "'Who's it from?' began the justice, as Barbara returned to her chair. In letters, as in other things, he was always curious to know their contents, whether they might be addressed to himself or not. "'It is from Anne, Papa,' replied Barbara, as she laid the letter by her side on the table. "'Why don't you open it and see what she says?' I will, directly. I am just going to pour out some more tea for Mamma. Finally the Justice finished his breakfast and strolled out into the garden. Barbara opened her letter. Mrs. Hare watched her movements and her countenance. She saw the latter flush suddenly and vividly, and then become deadly pale. She saw Barbara crush the note in her hand when read. Oh, Mamma! she uttered. The flush of emotion came also into Mrs. Hare's delicate cheeks. Barbara, is it bad news? Mamma, it, it is about Richard, she whispered, glancing at the door and window, to see that none might be within sight or hearing. I never thought of him. I only fancied Anne might be sending me some bit of news concerning her own affairs. Good heavens! How fortunate, how providential that Papa did not see the paper fall, and that you did not persist in your inquiries. If he... "'Barbara, you are keeping me in suspense,' interrupted Mrs. Hare, who had also grown white. "'What should Anne know about Richard?' Barbara smoothed out the writing and held it before her mother. It was as follows. "'I have had a curious note from R. It was without date or signature, but I knew his handwriting. He tells me to let you know, in the most sure and private manner that I can, that he will soon be paying another night visit.' You are to watch the grove every evening when the present moon gets bright. Mrs. Hare covered her face for some minutes. Thank God for all his mercies, she murmured. Oh, Mamma, but it's an awful risk for him to run. But to know that he is in life, to know that he is in life, and for the risk, Barbara, I dread it not. The same God who protected him through the last visit will protect him through this. He will not forsake the oppressed, the innocent. Destroy the paper, child. Archibald Carlyle must first see it, Mamma. 
I shall not be easy until it is destroyed, Barbara. Braving the comments of gossip, hoping the visit would not reach the ears or eyes of the justice, Barbara went that day to the office of Mr. Carlyle. He was not there. He was at West Lynn. He had gone to Lynnenborough on business, and Mr. Dill thought it a question if he would be at the office again that day. If so, it would be late in the afternoon. Barbara, as soon as their own dinner was over, took up her patient station at the gate, hoping to see him pass. But the time went by, and he did not. She had little doubt that he had returned home without going to West Lynn. What should she do? Go up to East Lynn and see him, said her conscience. Barbara's mind was in a strangely excited state. It appeared to her that this visit of Richard's must have been specially designed by Providence, that he might be confronted by Thorn. Mamma, she said, returning indoors, after seeing the justice depart upon an evening visit to the Buck's Head, where he and certain other justices and gentlemen sometimes congregated to smoke and chat. I shall go up to East Lynn, if you have no objection. I must see Mr. Carlyle. Away went Barbara. It had struck seven when she arrived at East Lynn. Is Mr. Carlyle disengaged? Mr. Carlyle is not yet home, miss. My lady and Miss Carlyle are waiting dinner for him. A check for Barbara. The servant asked her to walk in, but she declined and turned from the door. She was in no mood for visit-paying. Lady Isabel had been standing at the window watching for her husband, and wondering what made him so late. She observed Barbara approach the house, and saw her walk away again. Presently the servant who had answered the door entered the drawing-room. "'Was not that Miss Hare?' "'Yes, my lady,' was the man's reply. "'She wanted master. I said your ladyship was at home, but she would not enter.' Isabel said no more. She caught the eyes of Francis Levison fixed on her with as much meaning, compassionate meaning, as they dared express. She clasped her hands in pain and turned again to the window. Barbara was slowly walking down the avenue. Mr. Carlyle was then in sight, walking quickly up it. Lady Isabel saw their hands meet in greeting. "'Oh, I am so thankful to have met you,' Barbara exclaimed to him impulsively. "'I actually went to your office to-day, and I have been now to your house. We have such news.' "'Eh? What? About Thorn?' "'No, about Richard,' replied Barbara, taking the scrap of paper from the folds of her dress. "'This came to me this morning from Anne.' Mr. Carlyle took the document, and Barbara looked over him whilst he read it, neither of them thinking that Lady Isabel's jealous eyes and Captain Levison's evil ones were strained upon them from the distant windows. Miss Carlyle's also, for the matter of that. Archibald, it seems to me that Providence must be directing him hither at this moment. Our suspicions with regard to Thorn can now be set at rest. You must contrive that Richard shall see him. What can he be coming again for? More money, was the supposition of Mr. Carlyle. Does Mrs. Hare know of this? She does, unfortunately. I opened the paper before her, never dreaming it was connected with Richard. Poor, unhappy Richard. And not to be guilty. He acted as though he were guilty, Barbara, and that line of conduct often entails as much trouble as real guilt. You do not believe him guilty? she most passionately uttered. I do not. I have little doubt of the guilt of Thorn. Oh, if it could be brought home to him, returned Barbara, 
so that Richard might be cleared in the sight of day. How can you contrive that he shall see Thorn? I cannot tell. I must think it over. Let me know the instant he arrives, Barbara. Of course I shall. It may be that he does not want money, that his errand is only to see Mamma. He was always so fond of her. I must leave you, said Mr. Carlyle, taking her hand in token of farewell. Then, as the thought occurred to him, he turned and walked a few steps with her, without releasing it. He was probably unconscious that he retained it. She was not. You know, Barbara, if he should want money, and it be not convenient to Mrs. Hare to supply it at so short a notice, I can give it to him, as I did before. Thank you, thank you, Archibald. Mamma felt sure you would. She lifted her eyes to his with an expression of gratitude, a warmer feeling for an uncontrolled moment mingled with it. Mr. Carlyle nodded pleasantly, and then set off toward his house at the pace of a steam-engine. Two minutes in his dressing-room, and he entered the drawing-room, apologising for keeping them waiting dinner, and explaining that he had been compelled to go to his office to give some orders subsequent to his return to Lindenborough. Lady Isabel's lips were pressed together, and she preserved an obstinate silence. Mr. Carlyle, in his unsuspicion, did not notice it. "'What did Barbara Hare want?' demanded Miss Carlyle during dinner. "'She wanted to see me on business,' was his reply, given in a tone that certainly did not invite his sister to pursue the subject. "'Will you take some more fish, Isabel?' "'What was that you were reading over with her?' pursued the indefatigable Miss Corney. "'It looked like a note.' That would be telling, returned Mr. Carlyle, willing to turn it off with gaiety. If young ladies choose to make me party to their love letters, I cannot betray confidence, you know. What rubbish, Archibald, quoth she, as if you could not say outright what Barbara wants, without making a mystery of it. And she seems to be always wanting you now. Mr. Carlyle glanced at his sister a quick, peculiar look. It seemed to her to speak both of seriousness and warning. Involuntarily her thoughts, and her fears, flew back to the past. "'Archibald! Archibald!' she uttered, repeating the name, as if she could not get any further words out in her dread. "'It—it it is never! That old affair is never being raked up again!' Now Miss Carlyle's old affair referred to one sole and sore point, Richard Hare, and so Mr. Carlyle understood it. Lady Isabel unhappily believing that any old affair could only have reference to the bygone loves of her husband and Barbara. "'You will oblige me by going on with your dinner, Cornelia,' gravely responded Mr. Carlyle. Then, assuming a more laughing tone, "'I tell you, it is unreasonable to expect me to betray a young woman's secrets, although she may choose to confide them professionally to me. What say you, Captain Levison?' The gentleman addressed bowed a smile of mockery, all too perceptible to Lady Isabel, on his lips. And Miss Carlyle bent her head over her plate, and went on with her dinner as meek as any lamb. That same evening Lady Isabel's indignant and rebellious heart condescended to speak of it when alone with her husband. "'What is it that she wants with you so much, that Barbara Hare?' "'It is private business, Isabel. She has to bring me messages from her mother.' Must the business be kept from me? He was silent for a moment, considering whether he might tell her. But it was impossible he could speak, even to his wife, of the suspicion they were attaching to Captain Thorn. 
It would have been unfair and wrong. Neither could he betray that a secret visit was expected from Richard. To no one in the world could he betray that, however safe and true. It would not make you the happier to know it, Isabel. There is a dark secret, you are aware, touching the Hare family. It is connected with that. She did not put faith in a word of the reply. She believed he could not tell her because her feelings, as his wife, would be outraged by the confession, and it goaded her anger into recklessness. Mr. Carlyle, on his part, never gave a thought to the supposition that she might be jealous. He had believed that nonsense at an end years ago. He was perfectly honourable and true, strictly faithful to his wife, giving her no shadow of cause or reason to be jealous of him, and being a practical matter-of-fact man, it did not occur to him that she could be so. Lady Isabel was sitting the following morning, moody and out of sorts. Captain Levison, who had accompanied Mr. Carlyle in the most friendly manner possible to the park gate on his departure, and then stolen along the hedge-walk, had returned to Lady Isabel with the news of an ardent interview with Barbara, who had been watching for his going by at the gate of the grove. She sat sullenly digesting the tidings, when a note was brought in. It proved to be an invitation to dinner for the following Tuesday, at a Mrs. Jefferson's, for Mr. and Lady Isabel Carlyle and Miss Carlyle. "'Do you go?' asked Miss Carlyle. "'Yes,' replied Isabel. "'Mr. Carlyle and I both want a change of some sort,' she added in a mocking sort of spirit. "'It may be well to have it, if only for an evening.' In truth, this unhappy jealousy, this distrust of her husband, appeared to have altered Lady Isabel's very nature. "'And leave Captain Levison?' returned Miss Carlyle. Lady Isabel went over to her desk, making no reply. "'What will you do with him, I ask?' persisted Miss Carlyle. "'He can remain here. He can dine by himself. Shall I accept the invitation for you?' "'No, I shall not go,' said Miss Carlyle. Then, in that case, there can be no difficulty in regard to Captain Levison, coldly spoke Lady Isabel. I don't want his company. I am not fond of it, cried Miss Carlyle. I would go to Mrs. Jefferson's, but that I should want a new dress. That's easily had, said Lady Isabel. I shall want one myself. You want a new dress, uttered Miss Carlyle. Why, you have a dozen. "'I don't know that I could count a dozen in all,' returned Lady Isabel, chafing at the remark, and the continual thwarting put upon her by Miss Carlyle, which had latterly seemed more than hard to endure. Petty evils are more difficult to support than great ones. Take notice.' Lady Isabel concluded her note, folded, sealed it, and then rang the bell. As the man left the room with it, she decided that Wilson might be sent to her. "'Is it this morning, Wilson, that the dressmaker comes to try on Miss Isabel's dress?' she inquired. Wilson hesitated and stammered, and glanced from her mistress to Miss Carlyle. The latter looked up from her work. "'The dressmaker's not coming,' spoke she sharply. "'I countermanded the order for the frock, for Isabel does not require it.' "'She does require it,' answered Lady Isabel, in perhaps the most displeased tone she had ever used to Miss Carlyle. I am a competent judge of what is necessary for my children. She no more requires a new frock than that table requires one, or that you require the one you are longing for, stoically persisted Miss Carlyle. 
She has got ever so many lying by, and her striped silk turned will make up as handsome as ever. Wilson backed out of the room and closed the door softly, but her mistress caught a compassionate look directed toward her. Her heart seemed bursting with indignation and despair. There seemed to be no side on which she could turn for refuge. Pitied by her own servants. She reopened her desk and dashed off a haughty, peremptory note for the attendance of the dressmaker at East Lynne, commanding its immediate dispatch. Miss Corney groaned in her wrath. You will be sorry for not listening to me, ma'am, when your husband shall be brought to poverty. He works like a horse now, and with all his slaving can scarcely, I fear, keep expenses down. Poor Lady Isabel, ever sensitive, began to think they might, with one another, be spending more than Mr. Carlyle's means would justify. She knew their expenses were heavy. The same tale had been dinned into her ears ever since she married him. She gave up in that moment all thought of a new dress for herself and for Isabel. But her spirit, in her deep unhappiness, felt sick and faint within her. Wilson, meanwhile, had flown to Joyce's room, and was exercising her dearly beloved tongue in an exaggerated account of the matter. How Miss Carlyle put upon my lady, and had forbidden a new dress to her, as well as the frock to Miss Isabel. And yet a few more days passed on. End of chapter 23, part 2